For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ our King. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. We're talking about praise. We're talking about worship. God, how great you are and how great you are in this place today as we continue our look at, at true worship. We looked last week at, at the idea that true worshipers receive, that sometimes it's not about what we offer. It is about what we are prepared to receive from God, that worship that God gives us the ability to worship Him the way He has called us to worship. He fills our hearts. He fills our souls. He enables us and empowers us and commands us to worship Him. And so we receive that from, from Him. Today we're going to look at kind of the next step, if you will, for that. And that is that true worshipers respond to God. Not only do we receive it, but we do something with it. We, we respond. Could it be, we asked last week, could it be that worship doesn't even begin with us? That worship doesn't begin with us. Is it possible that rather than looking for something from us, God first has something to give us? Are our hearts ready to receive what God has got for us today? To use it throughout the, throughout the week? That God is feeding us. And out of, the, out of the food, the spiritual food, the spiritual meat that He gives us, we worship Him. We worship Him. Look, if you will, at Romans 3.23. Not necessarily a verse that you would pull up when you're talking about true worship. But if you'll stick with me, we'll pull it all together. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, those of us who have attended church for any length of time know all about this verse. And I'm sure you're saying to yourself, well, that's, that's obvious. I mean, we all sin. I know I've sinned. I mean, none of us are perfect. And most of us don't claim to be. But what, I, but what if the very idea of falling short of the glory of God is worse than we think it is? What if it's, if we think that's bad, falling short of God's standard, but what if it's worse than we think it is? If you'll flip maybe to the next page in your Bible, or the page after that, at Romans 6, 23, Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, 323. Three chapters later in 623, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, there are those who will go through this life reasoning with themselves and others as, and saying, as long as I do my best, as long as, as I'm, a, I'm a good person, and when I don't, I, I, I go to confession that God would show me mercy. That God would show me mercy. I mean, I was a good person. He'd have to let me into heaven when I die, right? One of the things that we 
believe. One of the things that Scripture teaches is that our salvation is not about us. It is everything about God. We're never going to good ourselves into heaven. We're never going to work ourselves into heaven. We're never going to be able to be good enough to merit heaven. So if all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, And if some of us think about salvation in terms of what we can do to achieve it or that we can somehow good ourselves into heaven, I think we missed the point because when we do that, we're only relying on our own goodness. But we're constantly falling short of even our own standards. I mean, I think if, if we know that we've sinned, that knowledge, that knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us, which we call conviction... That's the understanding that God has got a standard of perfection and we don't meet that standard because this side of glory, we're never going to achieve perfection. So I think if we understand that, then we know we fall short of even our own standard of what good is. I mean, it's not that we don't know what God wants. God doesn't make a secret about that. We know exactly what He wants. And we pride ourselves on keeping a, 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 a few rules while ignoring or, or failing to obey countless others. Listen, this is something that we need to understand because it calls, into, it calls into our understanding the entire nature of who God is. Every one of us deserves death. Every one of us. If we were to get what we deserve, that would be separation from God. But we're not. We aren't. We aren't dead. We aren't separated from God. God's perspective is so radically different from our own perspective. I mean, we think of ourselves as basically a good person who has a few issues. All of us do. God sees us as a rebel. God sees us as openly defying His good and just laws. That God has given us a standard for goodness, a standard for holiness, and we haven't met that. And for a God who is perfection, a God who is holiness, He knows when we're not standing up, measuring up to that. Nothing that I've done, nothing that I could ever do can change my status. who I was before Him. I could never change who I was before I met Jesus. He's holy. I'm unholy. He is pure. I am impure. He's the righteous judge. I am the condemned sinner. But I want you to notice something. Look at verse 23 of chapter 6. You see that right after, let me, let me open this up just to make sure that I'm, I'm right about that. We're looking at 623 again. You see that right after for the wages? I'm sorry, I missed my little, my little dog here. You see that right there where it says for the wages of sin is death? What comes after that? A comma. It's not a period. It's not the end 
of that sentence. What does it say? I mean, what an important comma that is indeed. What an important comma. Because with that comma, God changes everything. Because look at what's on the other side of that comma. Sure, God tells us that we should, that what we should hope to earn for our sin is death. What does he say after that? But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not about doing good deeds and avoiding bad ones. Right here, God is saying that eternal life is a gift. It's a gift. And I hope it's becoming clear to us right now what was accomplished on that side of the comma. What God did on that side of the sentence. The meaning of the cross, you see, is right there. The meaning of the cross is right there. Jesus came to die in my place to give me a gift. Not something I had to earn or, or prove myself worthy of or, or labor to keep. A gift. Now if somebody brought to me a gift that means something really it's something really special to me. And they brought it up to me, they handed it to me, and I went to reach it, and they said, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before I give you this gift, you're going to have to run that flight of stairs 15 times. Well, those of you who know me know I would go, thank you, no. I'll wait for the next gift to come along. But the point is, the point is, if you've got to do something for it, it's not a gift, right? If you've got to do something for it, it's not a gift. Jesus actually did. We're talking about doing our best. Jesus actually did the best he could. And it was perfect. No flaws. No failures. No sin. Secret or open. Then he took upon himself the punishment that I deserved for all of my sins, past, present, and future. He took that on himself. The wrath of God fell on him. It didn't fall on me. It didn't fall on you. God's wrath, God's judgment for sin, his wrath, his righteous, holy wrath, the wrath that says for the wages of sin is death, Jesus took on himself. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so I wouldn't have to. <laughs> he did that so I wouldn't have to. It's what the hymn writer so beautifully expressed when he wrote, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. It's what God himself tells us in his word in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Some of your translations say on the cross. So that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. You see, through his death in my place and yours, Jesus overcame everything that would keep me from heaven. Every impediment to our getting to God, Jesus did away with. He crushed it under the weight of Calvary's cross. My sin, 
death, demons, hell itself, Jesus defeated those. If I turn from my self-exalting, self-consumed way of life, and I believe that Christ's death completely paid the debt I owe to God, I would be forgiven. I would be reconciled to God. I'd be adopted into His family forever. Forever. Can we grasp forever? Jesus did what He did so you and I could have forever with the Father. Just think about that for a minute. That was God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus went to the cross of His own accord in obedience to the commands of God to die a death He didn't deserve so that I could have eternal life. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior. Does it sound too good to be true? Listen, grace always does. It always sounds too good to be true. We come to God by grace, or we don't come at all. We come by receiving a gift, not by doing a deed. Bob Coughlin, in his fantastic book on worship, writes this, We don't create worship. We respond to what we've received in Jesus Christ, eternal life. And that gift continues to be the basis on which we come to worship God. How do we worship God? Because God has placed in us the ability to worship Him through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. That's why Paul reminds Titus, but when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. According to His mercy. Listen. Mercy, like a gift, mercy that is deserved, is no longer mercy. And worship that doesn't begin with mercy isn't worship. The ability and the desire to worship God is something that God Himself gives us. But there's another important aspect to that gift I want us to make sure we don't miss. In the process of drawing us to Himself, in the process of enabling that, God reveals Himself to us. He tells us about who He is. And the more He tells us about who He is, and the, the closer that we grow to Him, the more our worship grows. And frankly, every other aspect of our, of our ministry, but we're talking about worship today. Not only are we unable to worship God apart from His grace, we don't even know who it is that we're worshiping. God tells us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God tells us who He is. And He's done that where? In the Bible. In God's Word to us. He tells us who He is. To everyone who's ever come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Spirit of God, speaking through the Word of God, has opened their eyes to see we have an encounter in this book. We have an encounter with the living God. This is not simply a, a work of poetry or a work of history or a book of laws. This is the Word of God spoken to our hearts, piercing our souls. That's why 
Bible study is important. That's why study groups are important. That's why personal time is important. Time where you get into the Word of God and you you let it just soak into you and you say, God, I'm going to open your Word. What do you have to tell me today? What can you teach me today? What can I do for you today? That's why it's important that we know what's what's in this book. Because this is God's Word to us. He tells us who He is. God's Word reveals what His holiness requires of us. It reveals how far we fall short. And finally, how God Himself came in Jesus Christ to fulfill what He required. God gives the requirement. This this to me is just mind-blowing, and I don't know if it blows your mind or not. It, It just blows mine. Maybe I'm just weird that way. But let me tell you something. God... God gives us these requirements. He tells us what it means to be a holy, righteous part of the family of God. And He gives us that holiness. He gives us that righteousness. He justifies us through the blood of Jesus Christ. He enables us to meet the standard that He has set. We don't do it on our own. Lord, have mercy. We couldn't handle it. He does it. He does it for us. Our worship of God begins with God revealing Himself to us and is sustained by that revelation. British pastor Vaughn Roberts expands on that idea a little bit by saying this, Worship never begins with us. It is always a response to the truth. It flows out of an understanding of who God is and what He has done for us in Christ. It begins with His revelation and redemption. So we must ensure that the Bible which contains that revelation and points us to God's work of redemption, stays right at the heart of our meetings and our own spiritual lives. That's what it means to be Bible-centered. That's what it means to live a Bible-centered life, to worship at a church that is Bible-centered, to have devotions and prayer times that are Bible-centered, because that's God's revelation to us. It's how we know who He is and what we should do. God didn't, if, if God didn't reveal Himself to us, then we wouldn't know who to trust, who to obey, who to thank, or who to serve. We wouldn't know what God is like, what He has commanded, or what He has promised. Most importantly, we wouldn't know how He brought us near to Himself. And how He brought us into His family through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross in our place. And all those truths are necessary to know if we want to worship God for who He is. If we want to worship God in spirit and in truth, like Jesus told the woman at the well. To paraphrase, it doesn't matter where you are, Because the promise that God has made for the worship that His children are going to have, we don't worship God on a mountain, we don't worship God in the the temple, we worship God in spirit and in truth, wherever we are. How are we able to do that? Well, God teaches us how to do it. True worship is always a response to God's Word. This, this word ought to just change your life. It ought to change the trajectory of your future. That's how, that's how powerful 
what God has got for us in this book is. We want to start worshiping God. We've got to start digging into this daily. Digging into it. John Stott noted that God must speak to us before we have any liberty to speak to Him. He must disclose to us who He is before we can offer Him what we are in an acceptable worship. The worship of God is always a response to the Word of God. Scripture wonderfully directs and enriches our worship. God's Word always directs and enriches the worship of God. But more than that, God's Word is it's foundational. We can't worship God apart from His Word. It defines, it directs, it inspires our worship. Scripture provides the doctrinal fuel that we need to feed the, the uh, emotional fire that, that worship gives us. It's all started here. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is shifting sand. Mm. So, as we take a look at this, do you see worship, your worship, our worship, as a reflection of God's gift of salvation? Do we worship God because we have been saved? Saved in a way that we cannot save ourselves? Redeemed in a way that we cannot buy ourselves? Brought closer to God in a way that we couldn't do without Jesus Christ and the Word of God? Do we, do we, do we see that? Have we accepted that gift? Have we received that gift of salvation? Do you know that everything in this book points toward that very fact? From Genesis through Revelation. points us to that fact, that God, through Jesus Christ, accomplished everything that was necessary to bring us back to Him, to bring, let's, let's make it personal, that God, through Jesus Christ, accomplished everything that was necessary to bring you and me back to Him. God only requires one act on our part, and that is to turn. That is to turn. That is repentance. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry, I'll try better next time. Repenting is an affirmative decision to walk away from, to reject a certain path, to reject a certain course, and to give a 180 and walk in the other direction. It doesn't mean we're always going to be successful. But repentance means that it's, not, it's just so much more than being sorry. Repentance acknowledges that there are things in our lives that we do that interfere in our relationship with God. We can't see it all. We can't experience it all because sin will, will mar that view. And so to repent means we turn from that. And we tell God, I'm going to walk in this direction. I'm going to do the very best I can. God, I'm relying on you to take me all the way. I'll never make it all the way on my own. I'm relying on you to take me all the way. Knowing God through His Word enables us to receive what we need to worship Him. 
So receive his gift. Receive his gift. Turn. We need to turn from, from our um, self-absorbed, self-sufficient mindset. And we should surrender our lives, our wills, our, our, our agendas, our worship to him. Do we surrender our worship to God today? Can we finally come to the realization that it's not about how good we are? It is about how great God is. Not about how good we are. It's about how great God is. We serve an awesome God. A God who saves us, who changes us. Listen, I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior many, many years ago. And from that moment, from that moment, I've never been the same person. Yeah, there are times when I worry more than I should. There are times when I become more self-absorbed than I should. There are times when I, when I don't live out my worship the way I should. Because every one of us in this room are human. We are fallen humanity that has been given a precious gift by God. And that gift, through our repentance and our confession of our sin, is eternal life. It doesn't mean that life is not going to buffet us. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fall down. It means that when we fall down, God Himself reaches down and picks us up and says, this is the path to be on. I'm with you every step of the way. Man, for a God who does that, can we not give Him everything we are in worship? Can we not experience everything God is in worship? Yeah, we receive, but how do we respond to it? How do we respond to that? By li listen, I know this is so cliche and so churchy, but I want y'all to stick with me for just one more minute. How do we respond? We fall on our face before the cross of Jesus Christ. No matter how bad our knees hurt, we get on our knees and we, we acknowledge what God has done for us, what Jesus did for us on the cross, what He did for us in the tomb. We acknowledge that without that, without that foundation, we would be lost. We would be independent and arrogant. And well on our way to an eternity without God. But. Best little word there is out there. I was told one time that therefore is good too. That's just but in a tuxedo. God changes everything. God can change everything with a little word. I know it's a dad joke, I know. God can change everything with a little three-letter word or a comma. He changed my life with a comma. He changed your life with a comma. And if, he, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, maybe God is talking to you about changing your life. But God did this.
I was this way, but God. Respond to him today. Paul writes, I beg you, be reconciled to God. That is what every believer in this room would say. If you are struggling with your faith right now, if you're struggling with giving everything to God, if you're struggling with what life has given you, and and you, you wonder what the purpose of it is, and you've heard something today that maybe points you in the direction of a purpose, that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you. Every person here, every person here, has been changed by but God. Be changed today. Father, I just thank you so much for the transforming power of your word. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the way that you reveal yourself to us. I thank you for the way that you, that you call us and you continue to call us and you continue to woo us to yourself, God, to the point where the Holy Spirit works on us and he helps us to understand who we are in relationship to you and that drives us to our knees and we can say, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior and I want that Savior. I know that Savior is Jesus Christ, your Son who died for me. God, I want to transform my life. I want to be the person that you created me to be. I want to have the relationship that you want to have with me. God, I want today to be the day when that begins. God, thank you for that. Thank you for continuing to call us. Thank you for helping us to worship you in a way that brings glory and honor to you. In our weakness and our brokenness, God, you call us to come together as a family to combine our gifts where we're a little weak, somebody else might be a little stronger. And God, you call us to come together as a family and through that to have a worship and a praise that is glorifying and honoring and edifying and uplifting to you. And God, that also does something special to us. Help us to know that in Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Help us to Make that real today. In Jesus' name.